Um, last time I was up here, two weeks ago, I kind of did a little detour here over what I had originally thought I was going to preach about. Because the Lord hit me with something the night before. And I went ahead and prepared my sermon. This is from two weeks ago. Uh, that Sunday morning, like I usually do, uh, you know, with the final draft, etc. But when I got up here, I thought, you know, I got I to I gotta do what God just gave me. And, and I did. And, uh, and it was out of the book of Revelation. If you weren't here for that, you know, I would just recommend that you listen to that. That was very, very interesting. And here was the message. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, John, uh, uh, Jesus shows up to John the Revelator and gives him this message. And he says, uh, the message is to the seven churches. The seven churches. And from chapter 2 and 3, we get the seven churches he's talking about. Those seven churches were present. I mean, they were real churches at that day. But they were more than that. Uh, they weren't the only churches that were existing in that day. But they were seven churches which represented the church of that day. So each one of them represented things that you will find other places as well. So together they represented the state of the body of Christ. And so it has ever been. It has always been that way. The, the, the work of the Lord is shown basically in seven different ways all through history with the body of Christ. Okay? The message that he predated the thing with, before he say, said anything to each church individually, he spoke to them collectively as one and said, this is what God has called you to do. So what followed after that always falls with, under the parameter of this is what God has called you to do. He has called the church to be kings and priests to God and his Father. The church, all the church, has the calling to be kings and priests to God and his Father. Then later, at the end of the book, the revelation comes, and the last calling to the church is to be the bride of Christ. Okay? So that's the calling on the church. And the Lord, the, the night before I last preached, said you should be able to see that, some sim- uh, elements of that, in each one of the messages to each individual church. So I just grabbed a, uh, my Bible app, and I looked it up, and you know, lo and behold, it was true. That in every single one of those seven churches, there were the elements of a king, a priest, and the bride. If not all three, at least one or two or three of the ones that were there. Every single one of them has the call. That made me feel good. Really good. Because, see, I've always in my heart wanted God to treat the church equally. I mean, that's always, I've always been that way. I don't know why. I know why. I was a middle son. I was a middle child, and I couldn't stand the idea that, that, that anybody would be treated better. Of course, the, the youngest child always gets treated better. Is this true? Just not fair. And the oldest child always gets the, the best stuff. Is this true? No wonder I wanted everybody to be treated equally. I was the middle child. So anyway, I, it's always been my heart is that God would treat us all equally. So that we were, we would all be brought out together. You know, raptured out of here together. The problem I ran into is that that is not what my eyes are seeing. When I look at when I, when I look out there and see the condition of the church, I do not see everyone doing the same level of commitment. I don't see everybody overcoming. I just don't. I see some people being more dedicated and committed than others. Would you all agree? And, and see, it was, so I had a hard thing that I was having to wrestle with. I want God to give us all the same thing. And yet, would that be just and fair if not everyone does the same thing concerning God? If I give 10% effort and you give 100, should we get the same reward? See, my, my justice thing doesn't, I wrestle with that. This thing finally gave me my answer. 
We all have the same calling. That's fair. King, priest, bride. But in, and when you look at the, each of those churches individually, you will find that Jesus had issue with some of those churches. And, but to every church, it was given the same point. Overcome. Whatever is dealing with your church, overcome that, and you will get this reward that all the churches get. So if you do what you should do, you will get what everybody gets. But if you don't, you'll get the results of that. That's fair. Okay? Now, of the seven churches, two of them are given nothing but rebuke. No praise. They're in trouble. Two of them, another two, are given nothing but praise. With no rebuke. They're in pretty good shape. The rest of them, what's the math? Two, two, three. Three. A little bit of praise and a little bit of rebuke. Okay? So they have to, they have some stuff to deal with. So that's the state of the church. As we deal with things going on in Andrews right now, I see those seven. I really do. It's amazing to see this unfolding. So God is starting to work to prepare his church to be what he had called it to be. King, priest, bride. Okay? He's been working on this church for quite a while. He's had a special invitation out there that you can be, the Hebrew word is a jewel for him, in the last day. Another word is special treasure. Another word for that is a kingdom of priests. He's called you to that. So I know the calling is on us. As soon as he gave us that invitation, which was in 2012, 2013 showed up. And here comes Psalm 139. Psalm 139 took over. And if for those that haven't heard it before, you should go read Psalm 139. It goes this way. Search my heart, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me back to the way everlasting. Because I have strayed from it. That went on and on, and it's still going on. little sidebar here. You know how I got that? This is interesting. Someone show, showed up to for me to watch what has become the most popular TV show probably maybe ever, Game of Thrones. I've watched one Game of Thrones, and it took me straight to Psalm 139. Gee, I wonder what's wrong with Game of Thrones. It didn't take long for me to figure it out. 15 minutes, 30 minutes, and I said, i got to go find God. And I wasn't going to find God for someone else and blame what they're doing. No, no, no. I went to find God and asked God, what's wrong with me that that's going on in my house? Did I offend everybody? Game of Thrones fans? Anybody? Anybody? I just watched Facebook a while back and says, has anybody out there not seen the Game of Thrones? And I started, well, I'll be a son of a gun. God, thank you. I don't have to offend them. Yay. But I know some of you have. Be offended. You should repent. If, you, if that's acceptable to you, you have something to overcome. Jesus has something to say to you. Psalm 139. Get rid of that stuff. You cannot be a priest of God hanging on to stuff like that. Amen. Amen. That's why you came, right? Hear that one thing. So God's been preparing us for quite a while to get to this place. And now he's going to finish the work. I call this, uh, this whole work of God, preparation and the vision. God will divide. He's going to prepare. And for those that won't take the preparation, he will divide them out. That will happen. There will be more than one reward. You will get what you put into, folks. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Amen? Amen. And if you sow sparingly, you will reap 
sparingly. If you sow abundantly, you will reap abundantly. Either to the spirit or to the flesh. And it's your choice. And I feel good about that now. I think that's the right way. But I know that we're all called to the same thing. Praise the Lord. So God's going to get busy. Uh, he's going to do the preparation. Ezekiel 36. So we're going to race through a bunch of scriptures here. Hope you got your Bible app completely heated up. Ezekiel 36. This is a message that God gave to Ezekiel after the first kingdom of priests failed Israel. And so he had a situation on his hands where they were called to be this, this amazing vessel for the Lord, and they had failed. And now they're in captivity. And so he's speaking to the situation as it is and the way he wants it to become. I think that fits us. 36, verse 37. Just the first part of this verse. The son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. So their ways and their deeds defiled the land. And hence, Psalm 139. Lord, search my heart and tell me what really is in there. Is it the same as what's in your heart? Compare the two for me and see if there's wicked ways in me and take that out. He's saying that my way in America, the church today, their way has taken us to this place where we're debating about things that shouldn't even be an issue. No, boys don't marry boys. They just don't. Girls don't marry girls, even though my neighbors have. Not in the Bible. We shouldn't even be debating this, but we are. That defiles the land. And then so it defiles the land to the point where they got vomited out of the land. Look down at verse 19. I mean, verse, um, yeah, 19. Their way. It says, so I scattered them. Among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. So whatever they sow to, they reaped. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. But I had concern or compassion for my holy name which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. I really feel that is happening right now. I mean, it just grieves my spirit so bad. Verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed or sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments to do. So that's God's promise. See, here's, here's how you profane God's name. First of all, you, you do it your way. You do things your way, which are not God's way. And because of your way is not his way, the land or your, your life will literally vomit you out of the blessing zone of God. You, he can't bless what is unclean. He won't bless it. And the fact that we use his name, so I'm a Christian and we walk this way, it brings disrespect to the name of God. They say, well, those are Christians. Well, they're all filling the blank. Hypocrites, they do this. They do, they do the same thing the world does. And so that makes people think that God is nothing. That he's just like Mohammed or Buddha I mean, there's no difference between us and, and the rest of the world. We have diminished and depreciated who he is by 
calling out his name out of our mouth and acting like the rest of the world. And that's why Psalm 39 comes in. Let's just check this deal out. And let's begin to change. And so here's how God sanctifies his name. He brings you out of all of that junk, puts the water on you, which we're going to get to here in just a second, sanctifies you, and then blesses you. And the poor people will know, yeah, you are different. Because you act different and you are blessed. He wants to bless you. Any father should have that in his heart. He wants to bless his children. Not curse them. So that's how he's going to do this. Now, if, you have, uh, if you've read the Bible before, you probably should recognize <clears throat> verse 25 as an interesting scripture. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean, and I will cleanse you, and I'll give you a new heart. That is an interesting scripture. This activity we're going to find is what God uses to prepare us for our calling. The water. To be a priest, to be a king, and to be a bride. He uses water to prepare us. Will you take the preparation? Look in Ephesians 5. New Testament. This is what Jesus does to prepare us for our bride calling. This is the scripture about marriage, which you hear at every wedding. The husband and wife down here is supposed to be a picture of Jesus and his bride, the church. And one of the things that the bridegroom does is in verse, let's pick it up in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Just like Jesus or Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. Look at verse 26. That sounds just like the scripture from Ezekiel. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives like that. That's interesting, isn't it? So what you see here in the New Testament concerning Jesus preparing the church to be his bride, you see the same thing happening in Ezekiel. The scripture in Ezekiel is an end-time scripture. It's what we call an end-of-the-age scripture. So they, they match up. So the water is the issue. What does that water do? Well, uh, first of all, it prepares you to be with the one you're supposed to be with. Do you think that Jesus wants to have a dirty bride? A one that has all the uncleanness and, you know, her way and, you know, her idols and all that jazz? You really think he wants that? You know, he's talking, we're talking about eternity here now. You know, you get one shot at this deal and you got to stay with it for eternity. I think I want to get it right. And he does, and he will. Look over me, uh, with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. Those three preparations, bride, priest, king. We see the water being used through it all. Hebrews 10 talks about one of them. It is about our priesthood. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, when he says having the boldness to enter the holiest, that is representative of going right into the, the very face of God. You're not talking about being a mile away. No, you can be right in front of him. As close as you can get. You have the boldness now to do that. In the Old Testament, they didn't. Because flesh hadn't been taken care of. Why can we do that? Because of the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near 
with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our water, our bodies washed with pure water. Same thing, pure water. When I was first saved, you guys know my story, in law school, just about to pull the trigger, last year of law school, and God just messed me up, intercepted my path, joined me in Las Vegas and saved my story. And then a few months later, started dealing with me about, are you really supposed to practice law? And I'm thinking, sure. And then he begins to tell me, oh, no. Through several different amazing circumstances and events, God began to show me, you've always been called to be a minister, and you know it. And it's true. When I was like eight, nine, ten years old, somewhere there, I got called to the ministry. And I ran from it ever since. And I thought he had forgotten about that. I know I had. One of the things that he gave me to let me know this deal is on was a dream. And I've had, I've had two or three dreams where I saw Jesus. I, mean, I literally saw Jesus. And in this dream, I saw Jesus. And he's in this white robe. And he was, he was laying down in a white robe. And then he went away, and I was there in the same place in this white robe. And all of a sudden, this water, this, and I mean, this is what I got in the dream, this pure water began to just cascade over my entire body. It was crazy. And I, I woke up thinking, that was pure water. Water that is pure. And boy, did I ever feel different. I didn't realize it at that point what that meant to me. But that scripture sure did speak to me when I got to it. Our bodies washed with pure water. What does that do? That is, that is preparation for a priest to enter into the presence of God. Pure water to wash you completely. All right? And that's what he does for all of us. He offers this pure water. And, and as we saw in the scripture in Ephesians, what is that? It's the, it's the word of God. The word of God has things to say about your conduct. Things you should and should not do. And you need to heed that. If you heed that, it washes you where you can literally be in his presence. You can draw near to him. He's holy. He doesn't have all that junk. He wants to hold you like a bridegroom does his bride. I mean, how many guys want to get married and her to sleep on the other side of the bed? Not me. Or am I just carnal? No, I'm holy. And so is Jesus. I tell you what, when my wife died, I found out real fast what Jesus feels like. He is waiting for his bride. And he is searching for her. And he wants her now. I finally got it. It ain't bad. That's good. So here we have this scripture about, you know, we're supposed to take this water and let it wash us and, and keep going on the scripture because it's all the same thought. Verse 23, so let us hold fast the confession of our hope. That's our hope. Without wavering, for he has, who promises faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more. The, uh, so much more the, as you see the day approaching. So the day there means the second coming of Jesus. As we get closer to the second coming of Jesus, we shouldn't be forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Absolutely not, because he's trying to gather us as a bride, as a priest, as a king. And if you don't hear that, then you won't be a part of that. That's as blunt as it gets. So, isn't it interesting that Jesus talks about what is the challenge that is before the end time generation? Here it is. Many will run to and fro, and knowledge will increase. And it'll be, they'll be so busy doing all kinds of stuff, like it was in the days of Noah, building and getting married and getting, giving in marriage, 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 marriage. 
Busy, good stuff. Reasonable stuff. <laughs> but good is the enemy at best. Yes. Especially as you see the day approach. Because yes. see, as it, as it, at the end of it, when he's, when he's ready for his bride, she will be one. And those who have other things going on can't say that they're one. Do y'all understand that? Yes. Did I make it simple enough? My hand can't say to my body, I'll see you later. You know what I mean? If your hand offends you, what are you supposed to do? Cut it off. Who said that? Jesus said that. You think he'll do that? We, the body of Christ, if my hand is offended me, what will he do to it? He will cut it off. He can grow another hand. Boy, people are looking at me like, I can't believe you said that. I'll say it again. He will cut it off. I can give you scripture after scripture after scripture where he does that. Amen? I'm warning you. I hope. We'll see. Well, we know the warning's out there. It's a test. Will you heed the test? I've been saying this, this, the water is preparation. Look at Numbers 8. I'll show you the scripture from whence I'm coming. Numbers 8. This would be the first time that God applied this calling of priesthood. It was to the nation of Israel. We're coming out of Egypt. We're coming to Mount Sinai, getting the Ten Commandments. And he's separating for himself the priest out of those 12 tribes. And it is the Levites. Look at the caption above verse 5. Cleansing and the dedication of the Levites. These are the priests. Then Moses... And then the Lord spoke to Moses saying... Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Thus shall you do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purification on them. There's your water. And let them shave all their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. You guys want to shave right now? Fortunately, in the New Testament, we don't have to do that. Let your hair grow long. Uh, so that's what they did. They, they sprinkle the water of purification and it cleanses them. Look in verse uh, uh, 13, I believe it is. Let me look. Yeah, 13. And you shall stand the Levites before Aaron and his sons and then offer them like a wave offering to the Lord. Thus shall you separate the Levites from among the children of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. When you see God say stuff like that, you should really, you should underline that. What does that mean? They shall be mine. That means they ain't belonging to nobody else or to anything else. God has put a claim on them. Verse 15, after that, the Levites shall go to the service, to the service, they service the tabernacle of meeting. So you shall cleanse them and offer them like a wave offering, for they are wholly given to me from among the children of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of all who opened the womb, the firstborn of the children of Israel. So that's the first time we see this water being applied. But we know it happens in the New Testament as well. That's what Jesus did. Folks, when they pierced his side, what came out? Blood and water. So he's using all these things ceremonially in the Old Testament, and but spiritually in the New Testament, he fulfilled it all. And it's supposed to apply to you today in the Spirit. I'm not talking about let's get a shower in here or anything. I'm talking about letting the word of the Lord be your water and the Holy Spirit do it, applying it to your life. Now, unfortunately, not everybody's going to get it. Ezekiel 44. Go back to Ezekiel. We started it out there about the calling of the Lord. I want to cleanse the Levites. I want the people to be clean so they can be priests to me. And never miss this fact, folks. When you're called to the priesthood, you better get your priorities in order. Here's how the priests are supposed to do. 
They have two things to do. They minister to the people or on behalf of the people. So that's one thing. The other is they minister to God. And I guarantee you the priority is to God first. Then to the people. One of the problems that we have in the church today is that we're so user-friendly that we have flipped those two things and we, we put people first, God second. And so we start eliminating a lot of things. He said, in the name of being nice to the people, which God doesn't like. Now, Ezekiel 44 is about the temple that will actually, there will be a temple, a physical temple back on earth when Jesus returns. When he comes back, which looks like he's coming, after he gets here in Armageddon, everybody's blown up, blah, 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 they will build another temple. It's called the Ezekiel Temple. It will be here for a thousand years. You can find that in the book of Revelation. For a thousand years, there will be a temple here. There will be people all over this world. Hopefully you will be here. And there will be priests in that temple. Who gets to be in that temple? And that's what this chapter is talking about. Verse 10. Look at the caption. Laws concerning the priest. And the Levites, who went far from me when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity. Yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house. They shall slay the burnt offering and sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before the people to minister to them. Because they minister to the the people before their idols and cause the house of Israel to fall into iniquity, therefore I have raised my hand in an oath against them, says the Lord God, that they shall bear their iniquity, and they shall not come near me to minister to me as priest, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will make them... Keep charge of the temple for all its work and for all that has to be done in it. But the priest, the Levites, the sons of Zadok. So there is a select few that did it the right way. We'll read it here. They kept charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me. They shall come near to me to minister to me. And they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says the Lord. And they will enter my sanctuary. So here's the point. At the end time. The, the preachers, let's just call it out, the pastors of the day, who let this crap go on. What people are doing today, folks, is idolatry. Straight up. It's idolatry. And it is not acceptable to God. In fact, he hates it. It's an absolute affront to God, the things we're allowing. The preachers who just blow that off and let the church get big, Big and wide, but about that deep. God says, you guys should have rebuked that, but because you let it go. In the end time, and during the thousand year reign, you can be in the temple, but you ain't coming near me. But those few of the priests, like Zadok did, instead of letting this stuff go on, call it out. And warn the people, you do that, you're in trouble. He says, those guys can come close to me and minister not to the people, but to God himself. I want that call. That's where we're going. Now, one of the reasons I bring this up, though, is to let you know, the whole body of Christ, according to Revelation 1, is called to be priests to God. Everybody. Yet, we see here and in other ways that not all of them will heed that call. They will not overcome the things that are before them, and in varying ways will get the reward of that. Some of them will get this. Some of them will go to hell. Jesus warned them, if you don't repent, I will take your name out of the book of life. It's in the book of Revelation. So if you're once saved, always saved, you should read that scripture and explain it to me. How can you blot the name out unless it's already in? So that's one of the options, and you could actually lose it. Another option is you're not going to go to hell, but you're going to lose all your rewards. 
And here's one of the rewards. You can't minister to God. I don't want that. Nothing gets to me like worshiping God. I mean, you can take everything else away. If I can just spend time with just pure worship to God, I'm good. I can handle life. You take that away from me, just shoot me. So we know that some people are going to not make it as far as others. That's the reality of it. All right. And if they're going to fail in the priesthood, they're going to fail in being kings, and they're going to fail in being the bride. That's the truth. So wake up, church. This whole business, don't worry about it. We got it. We got it. No, you you don't have it. You really don't have it. If we really had it, we wouldn't be debating these issues. That's the truth. We wouldn't be having what's coming to Andrews. That's the truth. So that's where we are. Well, there are churches that compromise. And if you read Revelation chapter 2, the church at Pergamos is called the compromising church. There is that church today. We have entire denominations that are still debating this homosexuality thing. As to whether or not priests can be homosexuals. I mean, my God. And, and ordaining gay marriage. Well, sorry. It's not going to be good for those guys. But the beauty of every one of those is that God has put it out there in front of them so that they would repent and overcome it and get this amazing reward. It's not like he said, oh, you're doomed. No, he said, I'm telling you that unless you change, you're doomed. If you repent, I'm going to give you an amazing benefit. So your choice, benefit or doom. That's what God is. He's very fair. But that ain't the last of the test. Water is one part of it, but there's another. It's called fire. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 13. Now this scripture is also what we call an end time scripture. Things that will be happening when Jesus returns. Zechariah 13. Verse 1. It says, in that day. Now, anytime you see that again, anytime you see that, it always is pointing you to the second coming of Jesus. In that day. A fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Well, we've been talking about that. That water. The fountain of water. And as the commentators say, this is pointing to the scripture we just read in Numbers about the Levites. Fast forward to verse 7. Now, this one is an amazing scripture. Here's your end time math. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. He's talking about cutting Jesus off when he came the first time. Against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And that's what happened. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord. Everybody in verse 8? Two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left. I will bring the one-third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined, test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. Now, you read the book of Revelation, you'll see the same math in there. Folks, man, there's a bloodbath coming. How many people in the world today? Anybody know? Seven billion? 7.2? So one third of that is what? <laughs> Two point four times two. Four point eight. So four point eight billion people will be cut off and die. There's your end time math. That's a lot of people. I guess you could kiss your four oh one K goodbye. Because it won't matter. 
4.2 or 4.8, whatever we said. Okay, so a couple billion left. What's going to happen to them? They go through the fire. They get to go through the fire. And the fire makes them where they can say, the Lord is my God. And it makes the Lord say, and those were my people. That's what's ahead. The fire. So like I said, it is preparation and division. Now, this is not what we call favorite word preaching. Right? No, I'll be zapped out of here. Okay, far out. And all the land. And all the land. And when well, I can go back through the book of Revelation and read every one of those messages to the churches, and you're going to find there's trouble in the camp. Real trouble. In fact, if you look, do the math, one-third, one-third makes it. There was only two churches in there that didn't have a rebuke set up against them. Out of those seven, there was two. Is that about a third? It's just saying. It's weird. This is what is coming. I'll give you some more scriptures for it. Malachi 3. Making everybody happy. Is this Mother's Day or something? I always have these messages on Mother's Day. Well, my granddaughter shows up. Timing is always an issue, Emily. Chapter 3 of Malachi is another end-time scripture. Verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, says the Lord. And the Lord whom you seek, that's Jesus, will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. I'll, I'll give that to you. Behold, he is coming. Verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. There's their fire. Like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. There's your priesthood. And he will purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment, and I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me. So he's, he's, he's teeing it up for his witnesses, the priesthood, those who will be priests. But they have to endure fire. Now, when does a fire come? Do we wait to the last minute and here comes fire? I don't think so. I think fire is a, like a steady diet. Look at Psalms 50. Psalm 50. Verse 1. The mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Look at verse 2. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Verse 5, gather my saints. That word in the Hebrew means the ones I love. My loved one. My bride. Gather her to me. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. So there's a, there is a group of people that when he comes this way, he's going to say, now those who have made a sacrifice with me, they have put their skin in the game. A sacrifice for people is not cheap. 
You don't offer anything as a sacrifice to the Lord that doesn't cost you dearly. Otherwise, it's not a sacrifice. It's a tip. Amen? So a sacrifice. Those who have made a covenant with me by their sacrifice are the ones I love. Be loved like my bride. In fact, if you look at the word Zion, he said, out of Zion. Look up up there in verse 2. Out of Zion, God's going to shine forth. Zion is all often used as a picture of the bride. So out of Zion, out of his bride, God will shine forth. She is the perfection of beauty. Why? Because he's washed her with water by, the, by his word. There's no spot or wrinkle or blemish. She's beautiful to him. And out of her, he can shine because she's like him. And so those people have made a covenant with God, and it cost them. And so when, it, when he sees their cost being accepted by him, he comes with fire. He accepts their sacrifice with fire. And so when he comes with them, fire's all around. And those who can't stand the fire are in trouble. And you can't stand the fire if you haven't been walking with God at a high level. I guarantee you. Dedicated to him. You cannot get there. You can't half soak this deal and expect to get there all the way. You gotta make a commitment. Zion. Look over in uh, Isaiah. 62. Verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. So in Jesus. You're the lamp of the world. The, the Gentiles shall see your righteousness, all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name. I want to point out a few things here, folks, that matter. New name, that matters. You'll see it later. Those who get to be a part of Zion will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. Here's the next one, verse 3. You will also be a crown. New name, crown. A crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor your land any more be called desolate. But you will be called Hephzibah, and your land Beulah, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride... So shall your God rejoice over you. So Zion becomes the bride. And God is rejoicing over her. Jesus has made his bride ready. Okay? And out of that Zion, the perfection of beauty, God is going to shine as, as a light into a dark place. That is ahead of us. Now then, Look over those seven churches in Revelation. Revelation 3. Now, as I said earlier, these seven churches are representative of the church eternal. You will always find the church state in one of these seven. I mean, any particular church is one of those seven. The whole church is all seven. And I could go through them. I may at some point go through them. I mean, I think God's starting to show me which church is which. I'll give you a hint. The first one is Ephesus. It's the greatest of all the churches. The principal. That's the Catholic church. It's amazing. Laodicea. I'm not going to say it. But the one I want, and the one that God has given you as an invitation to be, if you overcome, is Philadelphia. That's a great church. Now, I, I want to go on record saying I hate the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, uh, we're, we're drawing a line here. We're not talking about Philadelphia, America. This is over in Asia. Philadelphia, the church that loves. 
And I want to read through here some of the attributes of Philadelphia. To the angel of the church of Philadelphia, verse 7, right. These things says he who is holy. Now, I want you to pay particular note to how it describes Jesus. He just, it describes Jesus and every one of these messages to the churches in a different way. Okay? His title, or how he's described, has something to do with the, with the quality or the nature of that church. So when he says, this is Jesus saying, he who is holy, he can, he can come to that as holy because of what? She is holy. All right? So he can speak face to face. This is very interesting how he presents himself to each one of these churches. I mean, it's truly an amazing thing. He who is holy, he is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. That tells me that this church has a kingly anointing on it. The key of David. and has authority in the spirit to open and shut. I'm not going to go into that budget, but I know that God has done that here in this church. I know he has. I can give you a lot of examples, but I'm not going to go into it right now. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. Boy, that's the daddy truth. I can say for a, for a truth that no one has been able to shut the doors of this church, a medium tribe. There's been some terrible things that have come at this church, and nothing can shut the doors of it, or has been able to up until now. For you have had a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. And that has been tested. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Now, you remember we just left Psalm 50. Gather my beloved to me. There's going to be a division, folks. Preparation, division. And at some point, they're going to know, you are the one I love. Not because... You're better looking or nothing like that, you know, or you got more money or none of that. It's because you walked with me and let me do Psalm 139 and other things in your heart. When I look at you, I see me because fire perfects gold. That's when you know it's pure, when the, the guy that's refining can look into it and see himself. So that's that church. I love you. Now look at verse 10. Because you have kept my command. To persevere. I will also keep you. Now this is an amazing scripture. I will keep you from the hour of trial. Which shall come upon the whole earth. To test those who dwell on the earth. Now what that means. I'm not sure. But I know that that's the only church. That got that promise. What a promise. I'm for it. Don't make me go through that two-thirds dying thing or be a part of it. Or, or Give me Psalm 91, a secret place of the Most High, where it's going on, but it's not touching me. I will keep you. Verse 11, behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. You remember I told you there's a couple of words in that Isaiah scripture that you should point out. Crown. You've got a crown. You've already got the crown. Isn't that cool? I've already given you a crown. Who gets a crown, folks? Do you know who gets a crown? Kings get crowns. Did you know that priests get crowns? And here's the beauty of it. So does the bride. When she is betrothed to her husband, and ladies, it was Riedosa. It was all about you receiving your crown. When she is engaged and betrothed to him... To let her the world know that this is mine. He puts a crown on her head. And he says, you got the crown. And I think you do. So what is your challenge? Watch out. Don't let anybody take that away from you. And I just leave that to you to consider. How could that happen? It must be at least able to happen because he's telling you, watch out. Don't slip now. You've come too far. Stay with what you've done. Don't, don't mess it up at the end, folks. The hardest thing 
to do on any endeavor in life is to finish it. The end of it's the hardest. You get tired. You get you get impatient. But you've got to finish. So, number one, the crown. Verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. I like that. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, Zion, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from the, out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Now, we saw that in Isaiah 62, one of the attributes of the bride. She gets a new name. You don't see that in any other church in Revelation. All these things I just read to you are unique to this one church. A crown, a new name, the name of the, of the city of my God, Zion, the bride of Christ. She has it all. He who has a spirit, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Now, folks, I'm just, I'm giving you good news now. You have come a long way, but you haven't finished your course yet. And I'm going to show you where your fire is. Some of you are dealing with fire as I speak. You're dealing with it now. So back up it with me, if you would. Why did they make it this far? It's in verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is to come. It's going to test everybody else. In other words, the test is the issue. The hour of trial that's coming is for one purpose. To test them. Didn't we read scriptures about testing them? He will test them like gold and silver and all that. The fire is coming to test them. You've already been through the fire. You've already been tested. That's why you shouldn't give it up now. And what was the command? What is the test? What is the fire? To persevere. To persevere. That means you don't give up even when the going gets tough. You hang in when it would be so much easier to just run. How many of you have ever been tempted in this church to leave this church and go find a Baptist church and sit on the back row? How many times? I can't even number. It was a test. It was a test. How many of you wanted to kill your firstborn and your secondborn and any born that you had? God, it was a mistake. I should have had those kids. I'll help you now. It was a test. Amen? It was a test. So his command to persevere is the, is the issue. This is a cool thing here. That is a phrase. My word to persevere. That is a phrase that's actually used in the Bible. And a couple of times I'll show it to you. But one of the one of the issues of perseverance is in Romans 5. Turn that real fast. We've got to race this thing out. I'll tell you how you get there. I heard that. I'll let you read the entire chapter 5 of Romans 5. It's an amazing chapter. It's where you live. You should be living there. Verse 3. We glory in tribulations. Y'all remember tribulation? Thlipsis? Where you get squashed? Like that? You could run, but you don't? And that process of getting squashed with your consent produces the oil from the olive and the wine from the grape. Those are big deals with God. You didn't run. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. So his word to persevere was like an invitation to come have tribulation. Well, let's have a tribulation party. And you don't run. And you don't give up. 
And you get the end of it, which is the glory of God. The places where it's used. Romans, I mean Romans, Matthew 10. If you haven't recently, I would recommend highly that you begin to study Matthew 10. That's where we're going to be living for a long time. You get the same phrase. The word of my perseverance is in verse 22. You will be hated by all men's sake, but he who endures to the end or keeps the word of my perseverance will be saved. Now, what this is, is when Jesus sends us out as witnesses, Talk, take heed, don't take thought for what you're going to say. Holy Spirit will give it to you. You're going to be hated of all men for my sake. Persevere. Hang in there. If they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. If they call him Baal, they're going to call you Baal. Keep reading. Look down in verse uh, mm, 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring a peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. There's your perseverance. Now this scripture here that I just read to you, Jesus quotes in another place in Luke 12. Turn there real fast. Luke 12, 49. Jesus says, I came to send fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. It's the baptism of fire. And how distressed I am until it's accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not all, but rather division. From now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two, two against three, father against son, and etc. Same exact wording as we read in Matthew 10. So my point is this. The, the last element of the test of fire, the tribulation that comes that produces fire in your life, will come into your own home. And to your own family. And there will be division. There will be. I hate this. But you know what, folks? In our own families, we're going to deal with this issue. And it's going to be on you. Which one, is, which one do you love most? Your son who tells you he has a boyfriend? Or your God who says you can't do that in the temple of God? It gets down to that. And men, I'll speak directly to you. This is very hard on a mother to see their children doing this. Very hard. It's up to you to lead as to what you should do. Are you going to listen to the wife who says, Pobrecito. Or to your God, who do you love the most? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you say that with a full knowledge that as you say that, your wife may be out of here. Y'all ready for that? If you try to save your life, you're going to lose it with God. If you don't love him more than everything, you're not worthy of him. See, he's looking for a bride. And if she loves anything more than him, she's not his bride. Do y'all understand what we're saying here, though? Absolutely. We're going to end it right there. I have more. But we'll end it. There is a place. God is trying to call us to his place. Philadelphia is a special place. We're not quite there yet. We're not quite there. But we're closing in. Jesus is coming.
Did y'all learn anything? Not really? You're not sure? Father, we just pray in Jesus' name that we will learn. I know that there's a lot of stuff that we put out here today. A whole lot. But you have a lot to say to us right now. Times are short. And uh, I know you want to use us. And you're not willing that any should perish. Thank God for that. This isn't you know, about that. In fact, you would like to use us to get men saved. It has been said, Lord, that at the end, there will be the greatest harvest of souls that's ever been. I don't know how that's supposed to look. Maybe it's because people die. Death brings out atheists all over the place. They, they, no more atheists in the, in the foxhole. Maybe that's the reason for it. I don't know. I would like for us to be a part of what you do to redeem. Because even if it's just to redeem them for eternity and they miss all the rewards, at least we got eternity. And I know that's where you end up too, Lord. Thank you for being fair. Uh, I appreciate that a lot. Thank you for being full of grace and mercy. We all need that. And thank you for putting me uh, with a group of people who are serious about this. I pray that you will use us in this time to be salt to our community and, uh, and hold the line with you, not like Pharisees. We don't want to be that. But be zealous for the house of the Lord. We want that. So define it for us. Make us your servants in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Kiss your kids when they get here.